0: Good morning. My name is Kevin Maurice. I'm the youth pastor here at Grace. This fall has been a thrilling time in the Maurice household. Last month, my wife Kate gave birth to our third daughter. Uh, I think we've got some pictures there on the screen. Yeah. That's Rhiannon uh, Maurice. And so we are navigating life with a newborn again. And Two other young girls in the house. So, yeah, doing, doing just great. Um, this, is, this is cool, though. I think God was being extremely gracious to us with this. All three of our girls' birthdays correspond to the year which they were born. So, Mary, our oldest, was born on 1 16 Evangeline was born on 1 20 20. And then uh, Rhiannon was just born on 9 21 21. Yeah, it's cool, right? So, clearly, I have zero excuse to ever forget a birthday, except maybe for my own. Uh, But imagine with me if I knew it was my daughter's birthday, but I just chose to ignore her on that day. Or worse, what if I only ever focused my energy and attention on our first two daughters, but I failed to hold or, or look at or or speak to our third? What if I just learned things about her from my wife, but I never spent time with her? That'd be tragic, right? For, for my child, for me, for my relationship with her, for our family. I, I might know things about her, but I wouldn't know her. Now, don't, don't worry, I'm, I'm not ignoring or, or forgetting one of my girls. But if I'm honest, I've done something like this, not to my children, but to God. I forget who God is. I I neglect a very impactful truth about him, and it affects how I think about and how I interact with him. And the danger in, in doing this is I'm missing out on the fullness of the relationship that I'm meant for, that I can have with my Creator. Today we're gonna study John chapter 14. You can please uh, join me there, turn in your Bibles. And from the scriptures, we'll remind ourselves of who God is. This year at various points, we're stepping out of our teaching calendar and we're exploring our convictions as a church. And in John 14, we're gonna see what the Bible says about a foundation of the Christian faith. It's actually one of the more difficult doctrines to understand but it's one that illuminates and defines who we are as followers of Christ. The context of our passage is the Last Supper. Jesus is with his disciples. It's this group that's been with him for three years. And later that night, he's going to be betrayed and arrested and and dragged before multiple courts and beaten and mocked and finally crucified. But before all of that, he's in this home and he's celebrating Passover. He's eating dinner with his friends. Just one chapter before in John 13, he washes their feet. And throughout the evening, Jesus reveals more and more about who he is and his ultimate plan for salvation. And he tells them what's going to happen. And then he prays for them. And his words are saturated with this emotional and relational dynamic. Again, these are his friends and As he speaks to them, he also speaks to us. In John 14, Jesus tells us, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. And these things I've spoken to you while I'm still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I've said to you. On this fateful night, Jesus tells his disciples the incredible truth of the Holy Spirit. And in our time this morning, we're going to study this passage and others to get to know the Holy Spirit, who he is and what he does. This won't be an exhaustive study of the Spirit. We're not going to cover every verse in the Bible that references the Holy Spirit. We're not going to talk about the gifts of the Spirit. Our goal is to better understand who the Spirit is and His role in our lives. And so we'll start by studying the truth that the Holy Spirit is a person. And then we'll explore the power of the Spirit. And then finally, we'll we'll finish our time reflecting on the promise of the Spirit. The person, the power, and the promise of the Holy Spirit. So who is the Holy Spirit? Please notice the language here. We are asking who, not what, because the Holy Spirit is a person. Look at John 14, how Jesus again and again calls the Spirit he, not it. The Spirit is not an impersonal thing. He is a person. and th- This means that the Holy Spirit has a personality, feelings, emotions, a will. Ephesians 4.30 says we can grieve the Holy Spirit. Hebrews 10.29 reminds us that we can outrage the Spirit. Romans 15.30 says that the Holy Spirit loves. The Spirit is a person. Now, what kind of person? John 14.16, Jesus says he's another helper. And we'll come back to that word helper when we talk about the Spirit's power. For now, let's focus on this word another. Another. In Greek, in the language of the New Testament, there are two distinct words for another. There's heteros and allos. Heteros refers to another that is different in kind. Allos is used to describe something that's another that's of the same kind. When speaking of the Holy Spirit, Jesus says he is allos, meaning that the Spirit's different, he's another. But he's of the same kind as Jesus. So the Spirit is a person, and the Spirit, just like Jesus, is God. And just as God is holy and Jesus is holy, the Spirit is also holy. Just as God is eternal and Jesus is eternal, the Holy Spirit is eternal. And this is why we talk about the Father the Son, and the Holy Spirit. He is an equal and eternal person of the triune God. That means three in one. And we are now discussing the highly mysterious doctrine of the Trinity. And this is one of the most dizzying convictions of the Christian faith and who God is, which is why we employ metaphors or analogies to try to describe the Trinity But what inevitably happens is the analogies break down and reduce the person or the importance of one of the members. Maybe you've heard the Trinity described as three parts of an egg, the shell, the white, and the yolk. St. Patrick of Ireland famously illustrated the Trinity as a three-leaf clover, three separate leaves but all part of the same stem. Sometimes people talk about God the Father, Son, and Spirit as various personalities that God exhibits relationally in different times or places. So just like I can be a husband to my wife and a father to my children or a son to my own parents, maybe God's displaying himself in three different ways. I once had a student describe his view on the Holy Spirit as it's like an energy field, It surrounds us and and penetrates us and it binds the galaxy together. That's not in the Bible. That's a quote from Star Wars. That's how Obi-Wan describes the force. The Holy Spirit, though, is not a force or an energy or an it. He is a he. And God is not like an egg. He's not like a three-leaf clover. He's not like my relationship with with others, he's God. And God is ultimately incomparable and and unlike any created thing because he's the creator. So he's outside of our, our realm of knowledge or our ability to neatly define him. As Christians, we believe there is one God who has existed eternally in three persons. We refer to this as the Trinity, okay? It's not three separate gods or, or a, a God family unit of three. That's, that's polytheism. God, God didn't first exist and then create Jesus and the Spirit later on. The Trinity is not one God in three different modes or phases. It's not like God keeps changing costumes and he wore the, the father hat and then he came down as the son and... They went back to heaven and and now kind of moves around as the spirit. That's an ancient heresy called modalism. The truth is God is one, existing eternally as three persons. And yes, this is highly paradoxical, but you find this truth throughout scripture And, and just look at this passage at the various ways that Jesus talks about his relationship with the Father and with the spirit. Jesus keeps telling his disciples, I'm going away. In verse 16, he says, but the Holy Spirit is coming to you. And then verses 21 through 23, Jesus says, my father and I will come to you and make our home within you. So, So Jesus says, I'm going away. The Holy Spirit will come to you to live within you. And therefore, my father and I are coming to you. Jesus doesn't say, I'm not really going away. He doesn't say, I'm going to come back, but in disguise as the Spirit. He doesn't say, I'm going away and you'll never see me again. Only the Spirit is coming. Jesus is so one with the Holy Spirit that when the Spirit comes, Jesus is there also. And yet he's not so identical to the Holy Spirit that he doesn't go away in order to send him. The Father the Son, and the Spirit are distinct persons. And so we can talk about them separately. And they are also all God, eternal, pre-existing, and unified, so we can talk about them as one. Anybody else dizzy yet? It's a lot. Regarding the doctrine of the Trinity, I I don't know if God intends for us to fully understand I think it's another reminder that we are incredibly small and that God is so much more than we can think of or imagine, and yet, and yet He chose to create us and relate to us and love us. John Owen, a 17th century English theologian, he wrote a book on the Holy Spirit, and in it he writes about how the Bible portrays for us a history of redemption with three major divisions. And each division reveals progressively one of the three persons of the Trinity, Father, Son, Spirit. And in each of these three major divisions, one of the members of the Trinity seems to display greater prominence. So in the Old Testament, before Christ's coming, the prominence of God the Father. Then Jesus' life and ministry and death and resurrection, the prominence of God the Son. And then after Jesus' ascension to heaven, the gathering of the church, the prominence of God, the Holy Spirit. As Christians, we believe in and we worship a triune God, and we now, together, we live in an age of redemptive history where we've been reconciled to God the Father through God the Son, and now God the Spirit lives in us. The Holy Spirit is not a thing. He's a person. And it's an unhealthy theology where the Spirit is just an it or or relegated or neglected as this unknown or forgotten person of the Trinity. To do that is to ignore a relationship with a person. To treat the Spirit as a thing affects how we believe that God works in our lives, because you get to know a person, but, but you use a thing. And so as we move to discussing the power of the Spirit, let's not make the mistake of thinking that we need to harness or unlock or release the potential energy of some thing. The Spirit is a person, and He is God. And because He is God, the Holy Spirit has power. Returning to John 14, verse 26, Jesus says, The helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. The power of the Spirit is to teach us and remind us. And he does this through his word, the Bible. The entire Bible is God breathed. God used human authors to write the books, and he was so intimately involved in that process that they wrote exactly what he wanted. Second Peter tells us that. Above all, you must understand no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation. Prophecy never had its origin in the human will, but prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. The Spirit teaches us and he leads us by the word of God. Psalm 143.10 says it this way. Teach me, teach me to do your will, for you are my God. Let your good spirit lead me. The scriptures are God's word. and, And when we thumb through the pages or when we scroll through verses on our phones, when we read the Bible, the Holy Spirit teaches us. And he also reminds us of what is taught. And and this takes place, I believe, particularly in times of darkness or distress. When we are prone to doubt God's goodness or his faithfulness or, or we're hesitant to accept his forgiveness or we just wonder, does God really care? And this is part of his role as our helper Jesus calls him our helper. He says, I'll ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. This word helper is this Greek word, parakletos. And we don't have a, a good word for this in English. And so your, your translation of the Bible might say helper or counselor or advocate. But the word means para, means alongside, and then kaleo, Means to proclaim, especially to proclaim what's true. And so a parakletos is someone who proclaims alongside of you. And the image is of someone coming next to you and telling you the truth, reminding you of it, proclaiming, yelling out what is right. If you're a parent, you do this. When your son gets frustrated with his math homework and, and, and he says, I'm I'm just not smart enough for this. I'm, I can't do it. And you come alongside him, you put your arm around him, and you encourage him, and you say, You are, you can do this. I'm here with you. I'll help. Or if you're married, you've probably done this. Your spouse gets disheartened, or or, or maybe they're wounded by something a parent or a, a friend or a coworker said to them. So you come alongside them, you put your arm around them, and you respond with the truth. You say, listen, that's not who you are. That doesn't define you. I love you. You come alongside them and you speak the truth. And the Holy Spirit does that in our lives. He reminds us of the truth. When we feel far from God or trapped in our sin, it's the Holy Spirit that proclaims to us There is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Romans 8.1. Puts his arm around us and he says, nothing can separate you, nothing can separate you from the love of God. It's Romans 8.38. When we feel alone in our circumstances, it's the Spirit that reminds us, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Hebrews 13.5. The Spirit counsels us and and helps us. And as he does that, the Spirit points us back to Christ. Jesus says, when the counselor comes, he will testify about me. That's his role, testifying about Jesus, applying in us the truth of Scripture and reminding us who Jesus is and who we are now in Christ. Theologian Dale Bruner calls the Holy Spirit the shy member of the Trinity because he doesn't want the spotlight. He shines it again and again and again on Jesus to give him glory. If you've ever been to a counselor, a, a good one, this is what they do. They're not, they're not there to talk about themselves. They repeat over and over the truth that you most need to hear. They shine a spotlight on that and they remind you time and again who you really are. And that's what the Spirit, our helper, counselor, does. So let's pause for a moment and and ponder the implication and, and the application of this. Are you allowing the Spirit to teach and counsel you? And remember, the way that he does this is through his word. and And so do you do you fill your mind more than that? do you do you fill your heart and and your soul with the Word of God so that the Spirit can remind you of it? The Holy Spirit speaks through His word, and and what I have found to be true in my life is that God the Spirit doesn't remind me of truth or or Bible verses that I haven't read or that I don't know or that I haven't heard before. And, and so if, if I don't know the truth, how can he remind me of it or, or counsel me in that truth? And so ask yourself, are you spending time with God, with the Spirit in His Word? If reading the Bible is not a consistent practice in your life, I would love to encourage you today to choose one book, one of the biographies of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, and commit to reading or listening to that one book and and just one chapter as the first thing that you do in the morning or the last thing that you do at night. Instead of going straight to email or, or sports scores or social media, listen to or, or read that one chapter and spend time with the person of the Holy Spirit and ask him to teach you through his word. As the Spirit teaches and reminds us, he counsels us, and he also convicts us. He convicts us of sin. John sixteen eight says, When he, the Spirit, comes, He will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. In each of our lives, there may be various sin issues that are disconnecting us from God. The Spirit will shine a light on those things. When we gossip about or or lie to a friend and we we know that that's not what we should be doing, or in moments of temptation when we seek out pornography and we feel guilty about that, when we raise our voice in an unloving way with a child or a spouse, and there's that ping in our hearts, that is the Holy Spirit. That feeling of conviction, that righteous guilt, that voice inside of your soul, it's not just Jiminy Cricket or a benevolent conscience. That's the Holy Spirit working, convicting. And now look, look how these roles of the Spirit, how they all work together. The Holy Spirit, he comes alongside of us and he says, what are you doing? Don't don't you remember what the Bible says about you? Should I remind you what you're worth because Christ died for you? Remember, you've been forgiven, but now repent of this sin and and walk away from it. That's how the Holy Spirit convicts us. So the Spirit counsels us and he speaks to us. Did you know the Spirit also speaks for us? The Bible says that the Spirit actually prays for us. Romans chapter 8 tells us that we don't even know what we ought to pray for. But the Spirit Himself intercedes for us through wordless groans, and He who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. The Spirit calls out to God for us. You can think of a counselor in a legal sense, like an advocate or or a lawyer in court on your behalf, the Holy Spirit speaks for you even when you can't, when you don't know what to say or how to say it or how to talk to God or because life just hurts. In those moments when you don't want to, the Holy Spirit is speaking to God, praying for you, interceding for your good. The Spirit teaches us and reminds us. He counsels and convicts us, and he prays for us. The Holy Spirit has incredible power, and he does all of that and and much more. In 30 minutes, trying to describe the Holy Spirit and, and what he does in our lives and in the world, it's like standing on the beach, looking out at the ocean, and then just trying to drink all of the water at once. St. Basil of, of Caesarea in the fourth century, someone came up to him and asked him, hey, can you explain the Spirit? What does the Holy Spirit do? And his response was, what does the Spirit do? His works are ineffable in majesty and innumerable in quantity. How can we even ponder what extends beyond the ages? What did he do before creation began? What power will he wield in the age to come? He exists, he pre-existed, he co-existed with the Father and the Son before the ages. But even if you can imagine anything beyond the ages, you'll discover that the Spirit is even further beyond. The Holy Spirit is a person and he has power. Let's meditate now on Jesus' promise of the Spirit. Our promise. Remember the context this morning. Jesus knows, he knows he's about to die. He's talking openly about his death. And in this intimate dinner setting with his closest friends, the mood has gotten very heavy. And and they're clearly discouraged. And Jesus comforts them and he tells them, another counselor is coming. John 14, Jesus says, I'm going away but I'm sending another. And then in John sixteen seven he says something startling. He goes further. He says, I tell you the truth. I tell you the truth. I promise. It's to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Jesus says it's to their advantage. It's for their benefit. It is better that he leaves so that the Holy Spirit can come. Now the disciples, they know Jesus. They've walked with him. They've spoken with him. They've shared experiences and and meals together. But now Jesus is telling them, it's actually better for you if I leave. How can it be better? How can it be better for Jesus to go away and to send somebody else? How can he say this? For the past few years, I've uh, been working on a degree from Gordon-Conwell Seminary. It's just north of Boston. And each year, I go up there for two weeks at a time. It's a long time. You want to know something I have never said to my wife before I go up there? You wanna hear something that I would have to be crazy to tell her before I get on that plane? Kate, it's actually better for you if I go away. It's to your advantage that I leave. That would be reckless and, and dumb, and you could go ahead and etch those words on a tombstone. Now, why wouldn't I say that? Because it's not true. It's not better for her, or to her benefit that I go. It's stressful and hard, and, and listen, she's incredible and supportive, and she does really well with the kids while I'm gone, but I shouldn't lie or, or pretend that it's beneficial for me not to be here. And so I don't tell my wife, yeah, it's better that I go away. But look at John 16:7, because Jesus the Christ tells us just that. And the promise that Jesus gives to us is not that it's going to be okay, or that we'll survive it and and make it through, or that he's going to make it up for us later. Jesus promises us that it's better that he goes away so he can send the Spirit. He can only say that if it's true. Do we understand what Jesus is saying here? I think every Christian at some point has thought to themselves, if only I had been there, if only I could have heard Jesus speak, if only I had seen the miracles for myself, if only Jesus was was like right here next to me, talking to me, telling me what to do every day, then, then I would be different. I I would follow him more closely, I, I wouldn't be so discouraged in my faith. I wouldn't be so afraid to share my faith or or so distracted or, or tempted. What a different kind of Christian I would be if only Jesus was right here next to me. But Jesus tells the apostles who were there, who had walked with him and talked with him and seen him do miracles, he tells them, I have something better. He has the audacity to say, my leaving is better because I'm going to be with you in a more advantageous way than just physically being here right now. And he can only say that if it's true. It is so tempting to think that if only Jesus was right here, we'd never sin, we'd walk more courageously and more faithfully. But look at this promise. Jesus promised that what we have right now Is better. When the Bible says that we are temples of God and that God himself lives within us, it's because of this truth. When Jesus tells us in Matthew 28, surely I am with you always, always, even to the end of the age, this is what he means. Jesus promises that it's better for us to have the Holy Spirit and therefore also God the Father and God the Son Within us than simply in proximity to us. That's an incredible promise. So, do you know God, the Holy Spirit? Do you know this person who lives within you? Are you seeing the power of the Spirit in your life? Do you believe this promise? I want to encourage us to do two things today, and and, and not just today, but this week and beyond. The first, I already mentioned this, but let's get to know the Spirit. Interact with God through His Word. Begin a spiritual practice or a habit of of reading the Bible, and, and not as a task or an assignment, or something to check off the list, or or something that you feel guilty about not doing? What if we reframe our mentality and and we rethink of, of reading Scripture as a relational act? It's a relational act of getting to know a person better. Let's get to know the Spirit of God. And then secondly, invite the Spirit to work in your life. Ask our Helper to guide you as you get to know Him in the Bible. Ask our Counselor to remind you of the truths that you know about God and about yourself. Ask Him to convict you and change you as a friend or as a husband or a wife or as a parent, as a person. Invite the Spirit to reveal an area of growth in your life so that He can help, that He can work, so that we could become more like Christ in all of life. Get to know the Spirit and invite Him to work in your life. Let me pray for us today that we would know and that we would glorify God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit, and that we would grow in relationship with God and, and see His power on display in our lives. Please join me in prayer. God, we come before you humbled, absolutely humbled by who you are. God, the fact that we we can't even comprehend all that you are, God, or even a facet of that. God, we pray that we would get to know you better and better. Father, thank you for sending your son to die for us so that we could be reconciled to you, and thank you for sending your spirit so that we are in communion and community with you. God, we pray that we would continue and, and to grow and, and become more and more who you created us to be. God, strengthen us, guide us, lead us, and teach us we love you. We pray these things in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.